Hello and welcome to the One Fighting Championship podcast. I'm your host, Dave Moore. The purpose of this podcast is to keep fans informed about the One Fighting Championship, upcoming events, and to really gain more more fans for One Fighting Championship in the United States and in English-speaking countries, because here at The One, we believe that One FC is the future of MMA and will be in everybody's home in America very shortly. So to start out, first things first, let's just get this out of the way. Don't make it weird. Go to my YouTube channel, like, subscribe, follow, all that stuff. Just do it. I want to be a rich and famous podcaster and big, rich, famous influencer. And I want men to respect me and women to want to sleep with me. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if you like, subscribe, ring the bell, whatever other things help me become rich and famous. So let's do that now. I'll wait. Actually, I can't wait because uh, we've only got about 40 minutes. That's how long Zoom will let me record for free. Um, And you better believe I'm not paying for Zoom. So Let's get right into it. First things first, for those of you drinking along at home, my cider today will be a woodchuck hard cider sangria. It is apparently red and fruity. It's made in Vermont. Um, It's got a woodchuck on the front. Oh, yeah, that's good. Tastes like sangria. All right, for those of you drinking along, woodchuck sangria. All right. Obviously, the big thing we're going to be talking about today is one fight nine ten Johnson versus Marais three on Prime Video, First Bank Center in Denver, a place with a lot of history with MMA. So, of course, Broomfield, where is where the first uh, UFC event took place, UFC one, and. I almost feel like the event, the one event is going to be remembered in the same way as far as importance. People don't seem to grasp that now, but the fact that one was able to get their universal rule set approved in Denver was a really big deal. It was a really big deal. And if you don't agree with that, just look at the rumors that the UFC has said they're not going to do events in Colorado as long as the universal rule set is in place. So if you don't think it's it's a significant thing, it is. And the UFC thinks it is. And I think time will show that that was a big deal. Now, events like this are, are nothing new for one. I mean, one's put on over 400 shows. They're really well established. You know, in Asia, they're the biggest game in town. They've got a lot of financial backing. But everybody knows, or at least a lot of people know. And if you don't know, I'll tell you. Um, the U.S. is the biggest market for sports. You know, I think Chachri said in an interview recently that it's like 80% of the revenue for sports takes place in, the, in North America. Uh, and we all know that that's not Canada. It's the land of the free and the home of brave. Hey, USA. So this was a big deal. They wanted to do this before COVID. Couldn't get it done because of COVID. That's understandable. We all don't have a private island to host MMA events on. Um, so... They're getting it done now. And man, I really, I'm going to just say it right now up front. I really think they did an excellent job with, with this event. You know, this wasn't an easy thing to do. And 
a, a big part of the challenge was this universal rule set. If one would have come to the U.S. and used the uh, unified, the new unified rules, it would have been a different product. It wouldn't have been one FC. So just to touch on some of those differences, obviously, in the UFC or every other MMA organization in North America, they use the new unified rules. Some states are even using the original unified rules, the New Jersey State Athletic Commission rules, which basically say that you can't knee a downed opponent. There's no downward elbow. Um, the, there's three to, three rounds for a fight and then five rounds for a title fight. The the rounds are scored based on the 10-point must system. Compare that to one, the universal rules. There are knees to a downed opponent. I think that's a very significant difference between the two. And the fight is scored over the course of the whole fight, meaning that even if someone just barely wins a round, it doesn't mean they're going to win the fight. It's effort to finish the fight is the number one number one um, importance on the on the scoring. So, if someone takes somebody down in one and holds them down, that's a very insignificant scoring criteria. If the opponent to that person in the last minute and a half of the fight just lands a bunch of knockdowns and, and it comes really close to finishing the fight, they're going to win that fight, even though the 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 opponent might have taken them down in the first two rounds because rounds aren't significant in one. So there's a big difference there. And they had to, to their credit and to the Colorado Commission's credit, one was able to go in and explain that to the commission and work with them and get them to approve this new rule set. That's a big deal to me. I think that's important. Think about the possibilities of this. This not only means that there's precedent, so that means that one might be able to host events in other states. They could say, hey, we did this in Colorado. It went off without a hitch. It was safe. You know, let's let's do an event in Florida. Let's do an event in California. You know, this also means that other organizations can do fights under the universal rules. Maybe there's an upstart organization in, that wants to host events using the universal rules. They could do that in Colorado now. Maybe there's there's some promoter who wants to start an event and they say, hey, I don't want to be like 99% of the other um, the other uh, uh, promotions out there. I want to have knees to the head of a downed opponent. I want to score my fights more realistically so it reflects a real fight. I want to use this different rule set. They're free to do that now. The precedent's been set. It's an important thing. And I really, the, the point I'm making is that it, it's a really important thing. It's a big deal that, that, 1FC was able to do that. So before they even started the event, this was a big deal, getting, getting, getting uh, commission approval in Colorado. And then you get to the actual event, and I think that was pretty significant too. Typically, when you see other events, maybe PFL, Bellator, even some of the smaller events, they all kind of look similar. They're all trying to kind of do something similar to, you know, the UFC for good reason. I mean, the UFC, it's an amazing product and it's what fans know. There's a reason that it's a multi-billion dollar company. But that also means that it's going to be hard for a, a competing organization to really stand out. 
You know, you're not going to get the top talent. All the top talent's going to the UFC, and you all have the same rules. The product's all kind of the same. One is doing something different with this event in, in Colorado. Not only is the, are the rules going to be different, and that's going to create, as we saw, very exciting fights, but it's also going to look different. If, you're, if you've been a fan of the game as long as I have, you're going to immediately be reminded of, of pride. Now, it's not 70,000 people at Saitama, but when the kind of pageantry that, that one put out for this event was pretty impressive. I mean, you have the fighters being introduced. You have pyrotechnics, lights. Um, it, it just really was exciting. And it's a lot different if you're a fan who's not used to that. You know, if your only experience with MMA is North American MMA, this is something that's totally new for you. So it was cool to see that. I think they did a great job, a great job with that. The other thing I think they did a great job with was was the commissions. I, I touched on that earlier, but we saw in the in the fights here, the commission was well prepared for for this event. Um, we had several different types of martial arts uh, being competed in, and the judges and the referees. Although the judges didn't need to get involved that often, but the referees, especially, that's what stood out to me. They were very well prepared. You know, we had a, a uh, grappling match with Mikey Musumeci, and the referee is responsible for calling out each valid submission attempt. Well, we've seen what happens with some of these local referees. They couldn't be trusted for something like that. They're not knowledgeable enough. But they had Shaolin Ribeiro for that. And if you all don't know who Shaolin Ribeiro is, look up his fight career. He's a very ex experienced jiu-jitsu black belt and an experienced MMA fighter. So they're, they're, right there, I feel confident having someone like him referee that event. And I was watching, I was watching the event with a friend, and the, my friend said to me, isn't it going to be complicated having so many different um, uh, forms of martial arts that are being competed on? And yeah, it is. But that's why, that's why 1FC had been working with this Colorado Commission for months before the fight got there, because you have to do that. Other organizations take, take a, a viewpoint of, well, what the commission does is the commission's business. What can you do? Judges suck. Referees suck. Nothing we could do about it. One didn't take that approach. They said, we're going to make sure that our event doesn't get isn't compromised based on the commission. And they put a lot of money and effort into making sure that the commission knew what they were, what they were doing. So I think that was all part of why the event was so sec successful. You know, you had this, all this work that went into it. The pageantry was great. The other thing that was great was the fans. I mean, that was really impressive. I mean, you know, these are North American fans. They're mostly ex exposed to North American products and they really knew the talent there. They were, they were, ready for this event. Every every big star from 1FC, whether they're American or not, got a big pop. Stamp Fairtex got a huge pop. Rod Tang got a huge pop. You know, of course, Mikey got a big pop and, you know, Demetrius Johnson. But it wasn't that these fans were cheering for the Americans and booing everybody else. They were cheering for the stars, the fan favorites. And that showed you that this was an educated fan base, you know. You don't always get that in 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 other in other um, 
organization's events. Man, that's good. Good sangria. Woodchuck sangria. I like it. Pay me, people. Send me, at least send me a couple cases of that woodchuck cider. Man, help a brother out. So what else about this event? I think overall it went good. I think obviously one has done a ton of events. They know how to do the video stuff. They know how to put video packages together. It's right on par with major MMA organizations. You know, I think the commentating team was pretty good. Brent Stover, Mitch Chilson, a former one fighter. And Rich Franklin needs no introduction. I thought overall they did a good job. It wasn't distracting. A lot of times when you get former fighters in there, it could be distracting. They could be kind of bland. I thought these guys kind of worked well together. It was kind of hard for me to pick out which one was which. I didn't really know when when Rich Franklin was talking versus Mitch uh, Chilson. But I think overall they did a really good job. You know, it was you could tell they this isn't their first rodeo. I, I would say probably the only complaint I had with this, and this is just personal preference, is that doggy Mitch. Mitch, Mitch, you got to tune it back a little bit. Got to lay off the espresso before you go out there to do those interviews. It's like, I get it. You're excited, but we're all excited. We're, we're already sold. We're excited about one. You're, you're not the announcer. You're, you're doing the interviews. And just for me personally, the way he does the interviews, he, he just seems a little too caffeinated. I think he needs to tone it back. I think that comes off a little bit cringy. You know, pageantry is one thing. You know, going in there and asking fighters, you know, trying to rev up the crowd. That's not your job. Let the fighters rev up the crowd. You know, you you ask the questions, they rev up the crowd. Same with Chaudhry. Chaudhry did an interview there, and he was doing the same thing. It's like, dog, what are we doing here? Like, tune it, tune it back a little bit, bro. Like, you're drinking the same kind of espresso that, that uh, Mitch is drinking. Like, the crowd's already excited. They saw, like like eight or nine knockouts or finishes in a row, you know, you don't need to pump up the crowd. It just comes off as, you know, I, I, I commend Chaudhry for not always having his face on screen, not trying to, you know, so many of these uh, fight promoters, they think they're the celebrity. They think they're who people are paying to see. Chaudhry knows he's, he's the promoter. He's not the, the, the star. I like that about him. But when he was doing that interview where he was trying to pump up the crowd, it was cringy. I was watching it. I was like, ooh, let's work on that, boys. So that, that would be one of my only complaints about the overall, the overall presentation. I think overall, it goes without saying, this card was great. Um, you had a ton of finishes. Almost every fight was exciting. Almost every fight ended in the first or second round. Um, you had a, a variety of, uh, fights that went on and they were all for the most part exciting. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm, I'm going to go over the, the card here now at this point and we can kind of go through some of these fights, I'll, I'll tell you what I thought stood out, but I will say this, if, if we're going on critiques, you know, if we're, we're not going to just, uh, we're not just going to, um, pat one FC on the back, although we do love one FC here at the one podcast i would say that uh the format for the prelims were problematic 
So I'm, I'm not even sure if all the fans realize that there was two uh, preliminary fights that took place on YouTube and something called Watch One, which is the one's streaming service. And that's cool. Sometimes you got to do that. You know, they're working with Amazon to get this thing televised in North America. But um, you need to relay that to the fans, especially, especially if you're going to bring out a fighter from the prelim action and face him off with Demetrius Johnson. So that 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 could definitely be a um, an issue. Of course, I'm I'm talking about uh, Kyrock Akhmedov. Kyrock Akhmedov got a decision win over uh, Reese McLaren on the prelims. Both of the prelims ended in a decision, um, and maybe that's why they're on, you know, the prelims and not on the main card. So when when uh, you know he was he was carted out in front of. Demetrius and they faced off. I assumed that there had been some kind of miss, like the the uh, that uh, you know Mitch Chilson had misspoke when he said that this guy had won earlier. Because I was like, I did not see this this gentleman fight. <laughs> I think that's how probably most of the fans felt. They're like, uh, I didn't see this guy fight earlier. Uh, I'm not really sure what's going on. So if we're going to put put fights on the undercard, we need to communicate that to the fans. Like, hey. You know, you go on the website, there should be links to it right on the one website. We need to make that clear. And honestly, if someone's going to be fighting Demetrius Johnson, the biggest North American star, and you're trying to promote a fight with this guy, don't put him on the prelims. There's my advice for that. But let's get into the uh, fights that were on on uh, Prime, which, you know, that has its ups and downs. Prime Video, I mean, everybody's got that. Everybody who's got Amazon has Prime Video, right? So it's got to be millions of people. I don't know if anybody who wasn't, like, intending to watch this event actually saw it. I don't think anybody just popped open their Prime and they happened upon one. I had to search for it, you know, which is something that I think should they should work on in the future, Maybe exposing people who just open up Prime and here's this this sporting event. I don't know if that's a possibility or not. Uh, so the opening fight, you have a women's catchweight. Neither of these women made weight, so you know I don't know, ladies. Maybe lay off the uh, maybe do like a non-fat soy espresso or latte or something like that. I don't know. I'm fat, so whatever. I don't know shit about cutting weight. So. Um, you have an American in Jackie Boonton and uh, Deandra Martin, who came all the way from Australia to get her uh, to get her uh, ass whooped by Jackie Boonton. So typically in uh, uh, MMA event, if the first fight is a women's 125er, I could be fairly confident that it's not going to end in a first round stoppage. But this is the fun of 1FC. You know, we have Muay Thai, we have kickboxing, and you're going to see a lot more finishes. And I think North American fans, maybe the ones who have never seen 1FC before, tuning in for the first time and seeing these 230-pound women and Jackie Boonton absolutely uh, crumple Deandra with uh, some punches to the body, it was a big learning experience for the fans, you know? And we'll see what happens with Jackie. I think she's got all the makings of a star. She's cute. She's American. She's from Southern California. You know, the, the, the possibilities are endless for this woman. So hats off to her. And then we had some submission grappling with Ty uh, Rutolo. 
and uh, Rainier de Ritter. You know, de Ritter's their, their MMA champ. And Rutolo is a future star of grappling and maybe someday MMA. We'll see. And I understand why the team at one put this fight together. But there's levels to this game. Even though Rainier is much bigger than Rutolo, Rutolo's at a much higher level of MMA. And that's why you got the outcome that you got. You know, you got a lot of stand-up grappling with no points scored. You know, it's debatable. You know, Rainier did have that kind of half takedown. He kind of thought he had won it based on that. But, you know, he's not going to take any big risks out there because Rotolo is going to be able to take advantage of it. So that's that's why he ended up with that stalemate there. You know, and there's probably people who are watching this going, wow, the co-main event is a grappling match. I wonder if this is how this thing's going to go down. You know, I could see that. I felt pretty confident. You know, one thing I'll say that I really like about the grappling events in one is they're 10 minutes. So even if they suck, and I'm not saying this this sucked, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening on the stand-up. But even if it does, it's only 10 minutes of your time. So I particularly like that. Uh, so Angla Nassang, uh defeated Fan, Fan Rong, you know, submission, guillotine, choke. This is the perfect example about one that like people are going to start realizing in North America. You got a guy like Ong who the UFC fans and the Bellator and the PFL fans have never heard of. But this guy's a national hero. You know, there's statues of him in Myanmar, a very a country with a lot of troubled history. And this guy's held two titles in one. He's 37 and he's still out there kicking butt. You know, they call him the Burmese Python. That's a cool nickname, but there's a reason for that, you know. And uh, one thing I, I kind of like about uh, one that you don't see in other organizations is, is if a guy's great, but just doesn't can't make that last step to get the title. I know I know I know he's had two titles before, but at this point in his career, he may not make it back to another title he's still able to go in there and crush competition at the highest level. He's not punished for being good, but not good enough to win the title. So it's cool to see something like that. And it really watching the, the great video piece that one put together, it was cool to see, um, cool to see that, that, that this guy is just another example of those one FC fighters, a guy who's world-class, but nobody in North America knows about not yet. Anyway, maybe soon. All right, Sage Northcutt versus Ahmed. You know, in the past, people said Sage's career was mismanaged, and that's easy to say because his first fight in 1FC got his face broken into like six pieces. Then that boy is too pretty to be getting his face busted up like that, you know? He is just too pretty. Like, like I, I'm into women, but if I saw Sage Northcutt at the gym, I'd be like, God, that man is distractingly hot. He's making me feel ways I've never felt before. That's Sage Northcutt. That's not even taking into account his 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 skills in uh MMA, which are mostly stand up based. So when I saw he was fighting against Ahmed, a guy who, you know, they say he's a karate guy, but what do people from this part of the world do? They t- they take their opponents down, they maul them. 
I was kind of getting deja vu. I was wondering if maybe the 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 uh, matchmakers at one FC didn't know what they were doing. But Sage showed everybody. You know, he did get dropped, but I can tell you, nobody was expecting what happened next. And for for Sage to land a heel hook like that at the very beginning of the fight, it was like crickets in the crowd. They were shocked right before they lost their mind and started cheering. So it'll be interesting to see what Sage has coming up. You know, Demetrius is towards the end of his career. And one is going to need an American star. And if this gorgeous, gorgeous man could round out his game and get some get some more wins together, there could be a lot of interesting fights I'd like to see. You know, one of the things that's so great about one is that guys can compete in MMA, guys and women, of course. MMA, and then they could go do a kickboxing match. He wants to do a grappling match. I, I mean, more power to you. I'll watch Sage North cut cut grass. You know that guy's great at everything. He's so good looking. But uh, you know, I'd like to see him do some kickboxing stuff, things like that. You know, he's such a talented striker. So the possibilities are endless. Hats off to Sage Northcutt. We love you, buddy. All right, Soul Dick versus Katastam. What did we think was going to happen? We thought Soldich was going to go. Soldich was going to go in there and work over Kadastam. Kadastam was brought in because he wouldn't try to to wrestle Soldich. He wouldn't try to lay on top of him. He was going to come in there and get knocked out by Soldich, and then Soldich should go on and fight for a title or something. You know, this guy was Soldich was a big prospect, and you know it shows you the power of one that he ended up going there and not to another organization. But this isn't pro wrestling. And sometimes in MMA, in kickboxing, in Muay Thai, you get caught. At the end of round one, I thought, man, it is only a matter of time before Katastam gets finished. But Katastam had other plans, and he showed everybody why he's got so many wins in one. Now, is this the end for Soldich? Are we never going to see him in one? No. He needs to take some time off. He needs to regroup. He needs to get the head together because Soldich is an amazing fighter. Everybody, everybody knows going into this event that he was probably the most hyped, highly anticipated prospect in a long time for any organization. But there's, there was a, uh, a failure to execute. In my opinion, he made himself too easy, too available to get hit. And you'll see that sometimes with strikers. If they're in the driver's seat, they, they are envisioning the finish in their head. And that's exactly what happened with Soldich. So that's not a physical thing. This guy's still a great fighter. He could still be a champion. He could be a champion and one in multiple disciplines. That's, I still see that happening for him, but he needs to go and get the mental side of things figured out and, and get his game plan figured out, whether that's a new training camp, maybe not, not just training in, in uh, Croatia, um, going and uh, getting more exposure in other places, but there's going to have to be some changes made and he'll make those changes. He's, he's, he's a winner. He'll be able to make that happen. All right. Stamp fair text. 
I mean, I would have thought that Americans just don't know who who Stamp is. You know, the, of course, the hardcores know. But I would have thought that, um, you know, the 14,000 people in that arena don't know who she is, but they do. You know, I know I know Stamp's a superstar in Thailand, just like Rod Tang is. But apparently, Americans must have got the memo. They must have been watching YouTube and seeing her fights and watching Prime Video. Because when she came out, and granted, part of the reason they're clapping is because she's cute, adorable, and she's out there shaking her butt. Like, I love it. The fans love it. Everybody loves it, you know? But um, you can't just get by on that alone. And she's a certified superstar. You saw that before the fight even began. You know, this is something I really like about the ties. You know, in tie boxing, you're not just there to win. The sport's not just about winning. It's about entertaining the fans. And Stamp, Rod Tang, they understand that. It's something cool to see. You know, North American MMA fans kind of suffer for that because we don't have any Thai fighters in major organizations. You know, there's a few here and there. There's one in the UFC. There's probably a couple in other organizations. But we don't have that Thai culture that 1FC has uh, in their organization. And you see that with Stamp's walkout. So that was just cool to see. Uh, the other thing that was cool to see was that uh, KO by body kick. Uh, in my opinion, Elise, you know, hats off to her for stepping up on this big stage in her hometown. You know, she comes from a great camp, trains with uh, Rose, and, you know, she's she's great. But to me, it looked like she was just overmatched and maybe the moment got to her. But the other side of the equation is that Stamp, for all that smiling and cute dances and shaking her butt, is a certified killer. There's a reason she's got so many wins. There's a reason she's on the role she's on. She's just a badass, pure, straight up. Um, but, you know, she was challenged in this, in this fight, and she took some risks in it because, you know, you're doing MMA. The takedown's always available. I'm sure that's Elise Anderson's plan was to take her down, neutralize some of that striking. And we got to see in this fight that Stamp, Stamp can wrestle. You know, she's got good defensive wrestling. It was really cool to see. So can't wait to see what's next for Stamp. Sounds like she's fighting for maybe a vacant Muay Thai or kickboxing title. I'll, I'll watch whatever she's got to do. As long as she does that little butt-shaking dance when she comes out, sign me up, you know. Uh, so now we're getting into the title fights. I like the way one does title fights, you know, I like how they have the, uh, the, the belt out there cage side. There's a little bit of pomp and circumstance to it. And, you know, as North Americans, we all know Mikey's the, the future star, Mikey Musumachi, Musumachi. If you look at all the, uh, all the, um, you know, interviews and promotion going on before that. He was featured heavily and, you know, he's done Joe Rogan before. He's done all these things. He's doing interviews with, uh, alongside Chatri and this, this kid has, has it, whatever it is. And it's not the same it that like a Sage Northcutt has. Cause, uh, this dude is not, uh, is not Sage Northcutt, uh, star power. It's something different. Like, you know, He's, he comes out there to the, to the, um, 
to the cage and he's where he looks like he's like going to the beach. He looks like a high schooler on summer break or at summer camp. Like his, his, his jujitsu outfit looks like swimming trunks. He's got his headphones on and like, what's that dude even listening to? You know, like you would think like, like hard rock or something like that to get into it, but he could have been listening to like, NPR, like, wait, wait, don't tell me. He's just like a weird, nerdy dude. You know, is he like, he's like the toughest autistic guy ever. Like, if they had a competition who's like a list of autistic guys who could kick your butt, he's like at the very top of it. Um, you know, and he's just well suited for this for the moment. You know, like his corner looked like dudes from his high school. Like, I don't even, uh, those are probably, I know he trains with uh, hobbyists and stuff, but it's like, are those just dudes he went to high school with? He's like, well, I'm going to beat this. Uh, I'm going to beat this Nogi champion in El Marwai. Uh, so I'll just bring some dudes from my high school to be in my corner. <laughs> so uh, there's some questions there I need answered, but I really liked everything about this competition. You know, having a grappling match, Chaudhry took a big risk to be the co-main event. And, you know, I think part of the reason he did that, Chaudhry did that, is because he trains with Musa Mechi. And he knows how good this guy is. Not only just how good he is technically, but how aggressive he is and how he finishes fights. And we saw that here. I mean, I don't want to hear anybody saying BJJ is boring ever again after that. That goes to show you, you could have never watched BJJ before in your life and watch that. And that is exciting. You could see what's going on. You could see just the dominance by Musa Mechi. It, 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 it was just easy for, for fans to see how great, um, how great he is and how dominant he was. And he wasn't, he wasn't facing a scrub. He was facing a Nogi champion and he made it look easy, you know? Got the fifty thousand dollar bonus. Talked about you know how uh, how he was dealing with depression. I like that. This guy's real. You know he's relatable. Maybe that's it. He's not handsome like Sage Northcutt. It doesn't shake his butt like Stamp, but he's enjoyable to watch, and you root for the guy. So a lot of big things for him. I'd like to see some maybe crossover stuff with him in the future, like like uh, see if we could get uh, you know maybe a uh, grappling match with him versus uh, Demetrius or something like that. That'd be cool to see. Uh, I also want to shout out Shaolin Ribeiro, who who refereed that. I thought he did a great job. I might have mentioned that earlier. Co-main, Rod Tang. He's taking, a, taking on a, uh, let's see, a w, uh, WBC champion. So this guy's not a scrub. Tabaris, you know, he's from Mexico, which is cool. Probably a lot of uh, Mexican fans in uh, – the United States. So that was probably really cool for, for the people in Colorado and the people watching on, on Amazon prime. But let's be real. This is a showcase for Rod Tang. You know, this guy's the man in the North America. People might not know. I mean, obviously people know who he is because look at that reception he got and look at that showmanship he put on, but you know, he's not, he's not John Jones. You know, the North American fans don't really know who he is, but trust me on this. In Asia, this guy is a superstar. He's a household name. Thai grandmas know who Rod Tang is because he's the best in the world at Thailand's national sport. And he showed why he's the best. 
You know, Tabaris was throwing that that spinning elbow, and hats off to him. He tried to go unconventional. He tried to land something, but they call him the Iron Man for a reason. And once he once Rod Ten got the timing on that, that sweet sweet elbow put Tabaris down, and he didn't get back up. So, yeah, he wants to fight Haggerty. Let's see it. I'll watch that guy fight anybody. You know. I'll watch him fight Haggerty. I'll watch him fight, you know, if it's stand-up, let's see it. Because that dude is cash money, and now North American fans know that as well. And then we had the main event. You know, this fight was built around uh, Demetrius Johnson. You know, Johnson's a big star. He was the most dominant 125er in the UFC, although I'd say marketing-wise and just based on the structure of the two companies, he's obviously more well-utilized in 1FC, and you saw that. You know, people went crazy for him when he came out at the beginning of the show. Johnson never got a pop like that in the UFC, and he's fighting Adriano Moraes. You know, this is the third fight, rubber match. They've each got a win by knee to the face, and – uh you know, this is this is to settle it, and maybe if Johnson loses this, he retires and goes off in the sunset. But we didn't have to worry about that because Johnson did what Johnson does. He dominated. He he said in his post fight interview, he's he's the best in the clinch. I would tend to agree with that. That he is a master of the clinch. You know, Morris looked like he was struggling with the with the uh, altitude. He's much bigger than Johnson and stronger, but. Uh, he just looked like he couldn't hang. And because of that, spent a lot of time pushing Johnson up on the side of the of the cage, unfortunately. And, you know, was it the most exciting fight? No, it was, it was on the bottom as far as excitement. Um, but you did get to see how good Johnson was. And it shows you that Johnson is still in there. He's still the best in the world, and he could still compete. Now, that being said, when – the post-fight interview comes up and we're talking about whether he's going to keep fighting or not. You know, he, he wouldn't commit. He had to talk to his wife. Well, do you have to talk to your wife? You don't think in the course of this, you know, eight or 10 week training camp that the idea ever came up when you were sitting at dinner that you could say, Hey, should I retire wife? Or do you don't think his wife said, Hey, I listened to that podcast you did with, with, uh, with, uh, Michael Bisbing, and you said you're thinking about retiring. Should we talk about that? And he was like, I don't have the 10, 15, 20 minutes to talk about it. He knows whether or not he's retiring. He said it. Uh, he said it in the interview. Show me the money. You want me to fight uh, K-Rot Akhmadov? Show me the money. Again, I think that whole thing with Akhmadov was kind of a mess. They kind of screwed that up. Show me the money. Yeah, I'll beat this guy. But he's not he's not going to um, his aspirations aren't to just keep fighting. It's to make money before he retires. And I personally think that, you know, the, the competition has to be different than than just some guy in his division who won on the prelims. You know, I think it's time for him to do some more crossover stuff. I'd like to see him fight, you know, in marquee events because we're we're getting one or two more if that. If Chachri doesn't roll out the uh, the the Brinks truck, if we don't make this happen for big money, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. So that would be my my uh, 
that would be my my suggestion to one. Overall, I mean, you look at the numbers, there was a ton of finishes, 11 finishes versus four decisions. That's one FC. The rule set promotes finishes. So great event. I think it's a historic event. Kind of talked at the uh, top of the podcast about why I think it's historic. And I think you're going to see a lot more of one FC in North America. And I think people will look back on this event and, and remember it as it's going to be much more impactful in the future as far as history and posterity than it, than it was at the actual time, you know, one was competing with a lot of events kind of just came and went, you know, of course, you know, MMA publications covered it a little bit, but it wasn't like it had this huge indelible impact, but I think in the future, people will look back on that event and say, hey, that's the first event where one was able to get the universal rule set pass. It was their first event in North America. They've had all this success since then in gaining a crowd in North America, and it's going to be a significant uh, event. So if you were lucky enough to be there or see it, I think it is very significant. Boy, that's annoying. All right, now we got a ad read. We've got some great sponsors here at The One. And let's see what we got here. They've given me some copy to read. Uh, it's time for a very special word from our sponsors. Brace yourselves because today we're diving into the wild world of Power Slap League. Okay, this is an ad from, you know, Dana White, uh, the Fertitta Brothers Power Slap League. Interesting. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Let's see what they say here on this copy. Have you ever dreamed of smacking someone? Perhaps your wife, probation officer, or AA sponsor? So hard that their ancestors felt it? Well, have we got a treat for you. Dana White and the Fertitta Brothers, the team that brought you the UFC, very proudly present the Power Slap League, where Face Me Tan in an epic showdown of sheer Nevada State Athletic Commission sanctioned slaptastic madness. Picture this, you're standing in a colossal arena, surrounded by literally one to 200 roaring fans and compensated influencers, awaiting your moment to unleash the ultimate power slap on perhaps a recently paroled member of the prison system, or maybe a mother of four with three months of sobriety from methamphetamine. For these athletes, that seems like a very loose interpretation of that word. They want us to call them athletes? Okay, okay. It's like a heavyweight boxing match, except instead of punching, you're slapping your way to glory in over $6,500 of cash prizes. Wow, $6,500. Man, these guys are getting paid. Do not miss the most exciting sport, more exciting with more views than the NFL and NBA combined. Is that is that right? We don't know? Okay. This Thursday on TBS. What's that? Okay, I'm getting an update here. Okay, this just in. Power Slap will not be broadcast on TBS. Instead, it will be on a channel called Rumble. Rumble. I mean, that's even better. I'm sure it's it's, it's a better station than TBS. What? Oh, it's it's the Rumble app. Uh, why are they broadcasting Power Slap on a women-focused dating app? Oh, that's Bumble. Okay, that... And what's Rumble then? If it a streaming service, uh, UFC, uh, uh, YouTube competitor. Oh, 
Okay. Oh boy. Uh, I'm sure that's no problem. Let's just make sure before we publish this, we make sure the check clears on the whole thing. Okay. All right. That's it. That's ad reads. Thank you very much. Power slap league for hopefully your contribution to this podcast. All right. We also had uh, UFC on the sixth in the Prudential center in Newark, New Jersey. And uh, it was headlined by Aljamain Sterling fighting Henry Cejudo for the bantamweight title. You know, Cejudo uh, coming back from like a uh, two-year retirement and Aljamain being a native of New York. So it was right in his backyard. I mean, this card is what it is, right? It, you know, at the beginning of the year, the UFC was putting out really, you know, Great events with a lot of top talent, and uh, lately they haven't. So, you know, that's not that's not ideal, but it is what it is. I will say for this, um, you know, one of the things that one always touts is that it has a great, uh, great finishing rate for its fights. You know, they got 11 – one had 11 finishes on their card. UFC had six, six finishes, including four first-round stoppages. So I will say for a UFC event, that's pretty good. Um, so that, that, that was great to see. And there was some, some talent on this card that I was really excited to see. Obviously, Bilal Muhammad versus Gilbert Burns. That's, uh, that's, you know, kind of the thing that saved this card. And there's some other fighters that I really like. Um, but I think overall, even though you did have those finishes, if we're comparing the two cards, I think objectively you have to say that one, was more entertaining um, and that it, it, it was more fun to watch. Um, so just a couple of, uh, a couple of fights I want to uh, call out here. I think the story of this event is again, unfortunately going to be scoring. The uh, judges unfortunately inserted themselves in this card in a way that was not positive um, and didn't do a good job of, of, um, just reflecting what the fans were watching. You know, that's the problem, right? Is that when you watch a uh, U.S. MMA event using scoring based on the uh, new unified rules, uh, you know, instead of the universal system one uses, unfortunately, this is a constant thing where the fans in attendance and the fans at home and the commentators and everybody else and the owners and the fighters watch a fight and they think one person won. And then you have a judge who thinks the complete opposite. Um, and the first time we saw that was in the Chaos Williams versus Rolando Deboya fight. Deboya was making his uh, UFC debut, and he did a great accounting for himself. I mean, I love Chaos Williams. I thought when this guy got in the UFC, he was going to be big money. I thought we were going to see this guy headlining. I thought he was going to make a title run. He's had some hiccups since then, but anytime I see his name on a card, I'm excited about it. And I thought that DeBoya was not going to have what it took to to compete with with Williams, and I think that the uh I think the odds kind of reflected that. And uh unfortunately, you know, we had some some weird stuff with the judges, yeah. Um it was a split decision, but the real issue is is that um, two of the judges here, uh, Michael Bell and uh, Dominic Carolai, 
had it 29-28 for Williams, which I kind of thought that maybe Bedoya might have had two rounds to one, but still, at least we're on track. You know, we're we're in, within the realm. But then you got Bedoya getting 30-27 on Derek Cleary's scorecard. So that's that's a problem, you know. We're supposed to be using the same criteria. All the all the judges are using the same criteria. Supposedly they're scoring based on damage, an ill-defined term, but clearly this is not the case. Because you you have two judges who said, "Oh, based on damage, Chaos Williams won two of the three rounds." And then you have Derek Cleary saying, "No, all three rounds went to Rolando." Even if I thought Rolando won the fight, it's not the point. The point is, is that th- this is part of the problem that, that people are getting frustrated with that's been going on for way too long. So that was an unfortunate uh, outcome. We did have some, some, some good, really exciting fights. You know, we had a bunch of finishes uh, early on, and then we had a great comeback by Kennedy uh, and Zechiku. I mean, that guy has the personality of like a bowl of oatmeal. But uh, there's something about it. When he gets hurt, he comes back and 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 finishes guys. You know, next week we got uh, Carlos Alberg fighting, and Alberg's only loss he's finished all of his other fights was to Nzechiku when he had Nzechiku hurt. Nzechiku did the same thing to Devin Clark. Devin Clark looked like he was getting ready to get him out, and he flipped a switch in Nzechiku's brain and submitted Devin Clark. So very impressive. Hey, let me ask you: if if we had our time machine and we went back a year or a year and a half from now. And I said, who's going to be a bigger star in the UFC? Who's going to be ranked and who's going to be chasing a title? Drew Dober or Matt Frivola? Would anybody say Drew Dober? Would anybody say Matt Frivola? No. They're going to say the handsome bastard with the granite chin who knocks people out. What a knockout by Frivola. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's steamrolling his way to contention. I'll be really interested to see uh, what's in the future for him. You know, he's a uh, he's a Sarah Longo guy, so I got love in my heart for Sarah Longo. You know, those they're 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 true uh, gentlemen of the sport. So that capped off the prelims, and then we get into the main card. Charles Jordan, that's a fighter I really like. I think he's in the wrong organization. I think he should be fighting in one. But he's in the UFC. He puts on entertaining fights when he can. And he's just got great striking. He's he's fun to watch. I really like him a lot. And he's fighting Crone Gracie. So obviously that name carries a lot of a lot of cachet with it. You know, he's the son of Hicks and Gracie, the most celebrated Gracie of our generation. The uh the 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 um and he's he's supposed to usher in this next generation of Gracies. Um and, you know, whatever was going on there, if you watch the pre-show, he seemed to be bad mood, not wanting to do interviews. He had taken several years off. And, uh, you know, when I saw that, I was like, well, you know, he's obviously got a grappling advantage. Maybe he's just that confident that he doesn't, he doesn't care about those other things. But when we saw when, when he got out there, he doesn't have an advantage. Because grappling, BJJ only works when you can apply it, when you can take people down, when you can get into a dominant position. You know, I don't know how many arm bars or triangle chokes get landed in the UFC in 2023, but I got to imagine it's a pretty small number. And the guys that are submitting people off their back is few and far between. Dudes are too good. Think about that. Guys from England, guys from Canada, you can't submit them. They know they're BJJ. Five, ten years ago, that's not the case. 
You know, when Bisping was first coming onto the scene, take that guy down. He doesn't know BJJ. Everybody's good now. Everybody knows their escapes. Everybody knows how to get back to their feet. We were watching a fight that was that was in a time machine. And part of the problem was, is this, you know, this is this is the hill I always go to die on, is that the UFC has a rule set that favors, it's supposed to favor BJJ. That's what it was created for, obviously, or maybe not obvious to all fans out there, but the first UFC events, the ones before Dana White and the Fertitas, were put on by by Horian Gracie, one of the Gracie brothers, Hickson's brother or uncle, maybe. He's a Gracie. And it was to promote BJJ. So they made a rule set that favored BJJ. If you go look back at the first couple of UFCs, there were no wrestlers because they didn't want wrestlers coming in there. They only wanted BJJ guys. The second they brought in wrestlers like Mark Coleman and Don Fry, those guys started beating, winning the tournaments. And throughout the, the, the history of the UFC, that rule set has evolved to continually favor wrestlers. So what am I talking about? The most obvious thing is the, the knees to a downed opponent. Now, you might say, hey, that's something that has to do with striking. That's nothing to do with grappling. But it is something to do with grappling. For people who are fans of Pride, for people who watch uh, some, some shows in Asia that allow knees to the head of ground opponent, one being the best example, you can't just go to the ground and sit in, in your guard and, and wait like you can in the UFC. When you have knees to the head of the down opponent, there's offense that takes place on the ground that could finish a fight. You know, I have a feeling that if knees to the head of a downed opponent were allowed, that uh, you know, Khabib Nurmagomedov would not have been able to do a run that consisted of 30 wins in a row. You know, there's other things too. Downward elbow. If you're on top of a downed opponent and you have to throw sideways elbows, that's obviously less power than a downward elbow. It's the same when someone's trying to take you down, like a grappler is trying to engage in the grappling and take you down. Downward elbow can generate a lot more power, could do a lot more damage. It's not allowed in, in North American MMA. And so what you end up having is fighters like Charles Jourdain, who are exciting, who people want to see getting uh, uh, stand-up wars with people. The second that stand-up war starts, you know, a wrestler or a BJJ practitioner is going to push Jordan or any other stand-up fighter up against the side of the cage. He's not going to be able to do a, a downward elbow to the opponent when they're in that clinch position. So that person can stay in that clinch position as long as they want. And then when they get them down, there's no way to hurt them when they're down because you can't knee the head of a down opponent. You can't uh, uh, strike the back of the head. You can't do a downward elbow. So that's all I'm saying with that um, is that, you know, a fight like this, it, it's not going to be it's not going to be exciting if Crown Gracie is just trying to grab on to Jordan and pull guard. You're not going to see Jordan finish him, and he's going to be hesitant to pull out his striking because there's a huge advantage for grapplers. A guy like Jordan has to continually try to land his striking game to finish the fight. A guy like Gracie only has to land that takedown once in 15 minutes to implement his game and get a finish. So not only is it advantageous to grapplers, but it's also 
uh, uh, more dangerous for strikers. Jordan said at the end of this fight, which he fought masterfully, by the way, masterfully, he said that um, he had to prioritize keeping his job over entertaining the fans. Here's the problem with that. This is a sport, but we're not paying, but we're paying $80 for pay-per-view to be entertained. And because of the rule set here, we often don't get that entertainment that we want, that we used to get back in the day. And that's because of the rule set. It's because guys are so good on the ground, they don't get, they don't get submitted. But everybody's game is to take people down, to neutralize the striking. So what you have is a lot of takedowns without a lot of finishes by submission. Think about it. When was the last time you saw somebody get submitted by an arm bar or by uh, a triangle? Most of the submissions in the UFC are when someone gets hurt with striking and then they grab the neck or someone shoots in for a takedown and they grab the neck. It's the reason you're not see, you're seeing fewer and fewer finishes in the, in North American MMA organizations, and it's a perfect example of this fight. Gracie and Jordan was not an entertaining fight, and that's the reason why because Jordan couldn't open up with his striking. Gracie can can jump guard and and grab onto Jordan's leg and push him up against the cage. I personally don't want to see someone get pushed up against the cage for 15 minutes. I love grappling. We saw Mikey Musumeci put on a thrilling grappling contest, but that's not what's happening in this fight. So it's unfortunate. I think Jordan, when his title's up, when his contract's up, he should go over to one. That's a guy, his skill set is much more uh, suited for that. Mavsar Ivaloyev versus Diego Lopes. God, I haven't seen a haircut like that since high school, man. That guy's bringing back the uh, the hot topic haircut, but that dude could fight. Hats off to him. He didn't win, but it was an entertaining fight, and I think we'll see more of Diego Lopes in, uh, in the future. Jessica Andrade versus Yan Shaonan. Andrade is one of my favorite fighters, period. I'm not going to uh, preface that by saying she's my favorite woman fighter. She is... If you're a fan of fighting, you should be a fan of Jessica Andrade. She fights everybody. She fights often. She never says no to a fight. She never pulls out. She's a badass. But she gets into fights like this where you know she uh, doesn't come in with the best strategy. And she didn't come in with the best strategy for Yan Shanan. And now we're probably looking at a, a title fight between Yan and, and uh, in, in China. So this will be a historic event versus Wei Li. Looking forward to that. Bilal Muhammad versus Gilbert Burns. Hey, I'm a Chicago dude. I love Muhammad. Hats off to him. Not the most exciting fight. Uh, unfortunately, we got kind of two slow fights in a row for the pay-per-view main card. But, you know, Bilal did what he had to do. His foot was injured coming in. And, uh, you know, the, guy's, the guy has just uh, been a winning machine. You know, his only loss in his last, like, seven or eight fights was an eye poke by, by uh, Leon Edwards. A fight he didn't look impressive in in the first round, but, hey, it's the reason fights are five rounds when they're the main event. Sucks for Burns, though, man. Burns is a fighter's fighter. And uh, to blow out your shoulder, 
it's tough to watch. You know, you could see at the end of each round, he was very dejected. Uh, Henry Hoof's a hell of a coach. You know, he said, hey, the legs are there. You know, the other arm's still good. He knows what to say, but that's a, that's a tall task against Bilal Muhammad, a guy that is so good technically, so good technically. Now, that being said, based on this performance, Bilal definitely deserves a title fight after Colby. I, I, I don't understand why the MMA media doesn't understand why the UFC and Dana want to do Colby versus Leon Edwards. When Colby came into the arena, the O2 arena at UFC 286, he got the second loudest pop behind Leon Edwards, who is from England. Here's the, the issue with that, why that's remarkable. Colby was not fighting on that card. He was just going there to be the backup fighter and to go to watch the fight. Colby has made a babyface turn, whether you want to believe it or not. And those kind of metrics are the kind of metrics that Dana White and the UFC care about. This is a business. They're trying to sell pay-per-views. So if you're asking, how can the UFC put over Colby? What has he done to deserve this position over Bilal? I'll tell you one thing he's done. He's gotten people excited about having fights with him, and he's sold pay-per-views. That's one thing he's done. That's the most important metric. But you can also look at that objectively. When Kamaru Usman was on top of the division, Colby was the number two guy. If there was no Kamaru, Colby would be the guy. People seem to forget that. What they also seem to forget is that Leon Edwards at the start of COVID was offered a title shot, and he declined. He didn't fight for over a year, longer than Colby, actually. But people seem to forget that because Leon's kind of a baby face. People like him. You know, he's not doing the whole shtick. But I'll tell you this. They could put any kind of other fights on a card with Leon versus Bilal. They could put John Jones on that card. They could put Israel Adesanya. Colby versus Leon is going to sell big time. It's going to draw tons of numbers. And let's be real. The reason Leon doesn't want to fight Colby is because Colby would be favored in that fight to beat him. It's going to be a big card. It is going to happen. Leon's not going to back out. They're going to back up the money truck. I feel like probably six months from now, you're going to be seeing Colby Covington versus Bilal Muhammad for the UFC welterweight title. Main card, Sterling versus Cejudo. Man, two underappreciated guys in the sport. Cejudo had to go off and do this cringe thing just to get people to pay attention. They wanted to get rid of the 125-pound belt at one point, get rid of that division. Cejudo's the one who saved it. He's an Olympic medalist. The guy's incredible. I saw him beat Demetrius Johnson in Los Angeles. It was amazing. Amazing to watch in person. Extremely close fight, but an amazing fight. Aljamain Sterling, this guy's good all around. You can't deny he's good. He's that he's good. Sure, the way he won the title kind of stinks. All of his fights have had something weird go on, but the guy's good. He's talented, but he's not likable. Cejudo's kind of the same way. He's good. He's just not likable. So when you see them doing promotion and stuff like that. It's hard to get excited for either the guy. 
And then on top of it, when you have a fight that's so close, it kind of hurts Sterling. Uh, watching the fight, I was pretty sure that Cejudo, even though he hadn't done enough to get the victory, that he would win based on the scoring system. So let's take a look at those numbers here. Can you pull this up for me? Okay. Yeah. Michael Bell, he seems to uh, favor grappling. He said 47-48 Cejudo. And then Eric Cologne, 48-47 Sterling. From my perspective, Sterling won three rounds. You know, the only round that was really in question was probably two, if I remember correctly. And it was clear as day that Cejudo won round five. So Derek clearly giving Aljamain 48-47 isn't out of the realm of the possibility. It's not that um, off to, to give a score like that. What is a problem is to give Sterling round five. Sterling took off round five. It makes no sense at all. I, I, I don't really understand any – I mean, I feel like if you started watching MMA a year or two ago and you were responsible for scoring that fight, maybe it would be hard to determine in rounds two and three, which were very close, who won that. But it's very easy to determine who won round five, Henry Cejudo. Aljamain took it off. He claimed as much. He took off round five. His coach said, hey, no more taking off rounds. Don't take off round five. So why is that a big issue? Because if Cleary would have given round five to Cejudo, he would have been champion. Now, I don't think that Cejudo should have won that fight. But this goes back to our problem with the scoring. Why are we talking about scoring at the end of a fight? It should be about the fighters and what they did to win or lose. You know, this kind of stuff doesn't happen in any other sport. Doesn't happen in football, basketball. When a call is bad in football, it makes the news and they do something to fix it. You know, there's things in MMA that we never have an issue with. The cut men. We never have incompetent cut men. They always do their job. They do a great job. Why? Because the cut men are hired by the UFC. But we have a lot of problems with judging. Reffing, same thing. We used to have a lot of problem with reffing. We still do on the more preliminary fights where we're having local referees. They're completely incompetent. I just watched a fight where one fighter took somebody down, was kicked in the head, and the referee stood him back up. So not only did they not take a point from the person who kicked this fighter in the head, he lost position. On top of it, that's incompetence. But the incompetence is nowhere near the level of incompetence of the judges. Why is it that we have a room full of pe- an arena full of people, fans, fighters, owners, um, officials? Everybody in the building thinks one fighter won the fight, and a, a judge thinks. The other fighter did. There's clearly something wrong with the system. There's clearly a problem. And that's because we take a business like the UFC that's valued at over $12 billion now, and we put the future of these events in the hands of local uh, bureaucrats. These are basically the guys who run the DMV. And it takes away from these events, and it's a problem. We go and watch the one card 
And we don't have these type of issues. There was fewer decisions in the first place, but the decisions always went the way that we expected them to, by and large. There was nothing like this where everybody in the stadium knows that Cejudo won the fifth round, um, except for Derek Clearly. And it's just something that takes away from from the uh, event. So what's the solution? I, I don't know what the solution is, but I will say this. Dana White and the UFC has continually said, oh, that's not our problem. That's the commission's problem. We can't do anything about that. Well, maybe people believe that, but they can't believe that anymore because of what happened in Colorado this weekend. And we saw that when an owner of an organization and the the staff of that organization works with the commission, they can make it work. One FC worked closely with the Colorado Commission, and the fight went off, and the fights went off without a hitch. We were not talking about the judges, the referees, the officials, the commissions on the one FC event. We were only talking about on the UFC event yet again. I got news for you: the next big UFC event, we're going to be talking about the judges, judges, and the referees. This isn't going to stop. So, whose responsibility is it? I say it's the responsibility of the largest MMA organization in North America the UFC, the president, Dana White, the owner's endeavor. Something has to change with this because it is hurting the sport big time. It's making people feel like the sport um, is not, uh, it's distracting from the sport. And I think what's going to happen, what you're going to see over the next couple of years is that people are going to say, well, I'm tired of all these problems with the commissions. I'm tired of these rules. I'm tired of watching guys get pushed up against the side of the cage and taken down and guys winning fights because they laid on top of people. That's just not real fighting, and it's not exciting to me. But there is another alternative. There's an organization called One that doesn't have those issues. I think what you're going to find is that not only are the hardcore fans going to be tuning into something like that, the new fans – the casuals are going to start hearing, hey, there's an organization that the, the scoring is much better. There's an organization that, that has a much higher finishing rate. There's an organization that guys don't get rewarded for laying on top of one another or have to say, I have to have a boring fight in order to not lose my job. And I think that's why this event that we just had in Broomfield, Colorado with 1FC was a very historic event. I think what you're going to see in the future, five, 10 years from now, when 1FC is much bigger here than it was before, that that was one of the main reasons why that happened. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe people will just keep watching UFC. It's certainly possible. It's a, it is a great product. I love the UFC. But I don't think that's the case. I think we're going to see something in the future that's going to be a lot different. All right. Well, there you go. There's the first uh, first ever One FC podcast, the one, as I like to call it. Of course, I'm Dave Moore. Once again, remind you, hit that like, subscribe, or whatever. Don't. I mean, sure, I'll just go on being poor and not having any money, and you just basically steal from me by listening to my genius thoughts and not giving me any compensation for it. So whatever. I don't care. Not a big deal. Um, we've got a... Uh, 1FC event in Thailand coming up next week. I'm going to be doing a recap of that and then recapping the UFC event in Charlotte. So if you like this, go ahead, 
Uh, give it the thumbs up, comment. If you hated it, definitely comment. Tell me how much I suck and how annoying I am. Either way, it, it helps me with the algorithm. So if you're living in your mom's basement and you really think I'm doing a horrible job and I'm a loser, make sure you put that in the comments too. I'd really appreciate it. All right, y'all. Dave Moore checking out for the one.